Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, the primary writer here, he mentions Silvanus and Timothy at the beginning of the book. We're reading from the New King James Version here, and here's what he says. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. And so he's saying, don't stay stagnant where you are. You learn some things, but no, we pray that you would abound more and more just as you received from us. We taught you to continue to grow in the Lord and such, but just as you received from us, whatever we taught you, you should be walking in that. So notice he says, receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For, verse two, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. He's saying, you remember what we taught you. You should be abounding in that, continuing to live that out. Verse three, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification means like a separate setting apart. You know, if you're, if you're maybe you got a whole pile of uh, maybe some pecans or something, and not all of them are whole pecans anymore. You know, they're all out of the shell, but not all of them are whole. Some of them have cracked in half or in multiple pieces, but you want to separate all the ones that are full, whole pecans still, right? Because maybe you're going to put them on the top of a pecan pie or something. Well, in the same way, when we're sanctified, you can be saved, you can be born again. But when we're sanctified, we're separated out from all the rest of the people in the world. That doesn't mean quarantined. What he's talking about is you're separated in your way of living. You're separated in your lifestyle. And you're separated to God for a purpose. And that is to be with him, to obey him, and to be used by him to minister to other people. But he sanctified you. So it's one thing to be born again. You can be you can get saved by making Jesus Lord. You heard the gospel and he forgave all of your sins, but you may still be addicted to all kinds of drugs or alcohol or bondages and such lifestyles. See, you have not yet been sanctified, set apart from that kind of life, the sinful life. And so Paul here is saying, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. A lot of people resist this. They want to be saved, but they don't want to be sanctified. But notice Paul very clearly. No, this is the will of God. It's not just for a few holy pastors. No, this is the will of God. He's writing to all the saints in Thessalonica. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. This is clear. You should abstain from sexual immorality. Well, what is sexual immorality? It's any sexuality that is over the line from what God says is appropriate. And what does God say is appropriate with sexuality? Well, it's, it's one scenario. A man and a woman in marriage. That, that's what sexuality was created for. And I know some people think, well, that's too limiting. And don't we have choices? Don't we have uh, preferences? And can't we go outside of those lines? And the answer is, People do go outside of those lines, 
but you can't go out of those side of those lines and be obedient to God and be sanctified and please God because that's not accepted by God. In fact, the Bible also says in New Testament in more than one place that people that live a lifestyle of sexual immorality, not pleasing God, but they are living that lifestyle that they will not go to heaven. I didn't say that, but that's he, Paul said that to the Corinthians. Paul also said that to the Galatians very clearly. And, uh, and it's in other places, book of Ephesians and such. Romans, very clear about this. And so in multiple places, the Bible's trying to tell us, God is trying to tell us through his word, no, you can't just choose your own lifestyle and continue to live a life like unbelievers in certain areas of your life and continue to be saved. Somebody said, well, I thought salvation and sanctification was different. It is indeed different. But you can't get born again and continue to be disobedient and you know better. See, you're born again to begin to be obedient to God because you weren't obedient to God before you were born again. Now you're born again to begin to serve God. So yeah, now you're born again. But now the Lord's saying, now you're learning. This is what Paul's saying. I taught you. I've taught you what's right and what's wrong, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. If you're born again, then you should be choosing what's acceptable to God. Why? Because you're born into his family. This is the way this family operates. See, and by the way, it's not just a narrow religious opinion. It's reality. It's the right way. It's the best way. It's the most prosperous, effective way. It's the most freeing way to live. So, you know, the devil turns it around as if that's really uh, a downer of a life. That's a bummer of a life. Oh, no, it's not. Oh, let me tell you, it's a beautiful thing. It's the best life you can ever live. God's creations are not anything but the best of the best. Okay, so Paul is saying, listen, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. What does that mean? To control your own body. Each of you should know how, by the power of the Spirit, to control your body from doing the things that it wants to do, you know, uh, the, sec the sex drives and such, he says, you should know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. The Gentiles, they find ways to commit adultery and fornication, sexual immorality, homosexuality, and the whole nine yards. You know, whatever they're in, you know, tempted to do, they find ways to do it in a sneaky way or in an open way. But nonetheless, he said, they're operating in the passion of lust. That's what they want to do. He said, but that's not believers. We don't let the passions of our bodies and our emotions dictate where we should go. We serve God. So whether we feel it or whether we don't, whether it seems like it's what we're motivated to do or oriented to do or whatever, no, we, don't, we, we resist those things and say, no, I don't follow that. I follow God. I, he's my creator. He's the one that saved me. So I follow him through his word. And regardless of my emotions, my feelings, my uh, logic, my reasoning, my passions, what I want to do, what pleases me, I set all that aside and say, no, I don't live for me anymore. Jesus lived his life for me and died for me. So now I die to my own passions and I live my life for him. Let me just tell you something right now. 
when you do that, you know, the devil will lie to you and say, oh, that's going to be a bummer of a life. Oh, no, it's not. That's a lie. It's the best life you could ever live because he designed your perfect life for long before you were born. And this is, this is the way it is. So it is the will of God and that you should possess your own vessels in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles. And uh, that was, uh, these are people that, remember, the Jewish people had a Bible. So they knew morality. The Gentiles did not have a Bible. So they lived without the laws and commandments of God. So that would be for us today like the unbelievers who don't uh, don't believe the Bible is the word of God and something that uh, determines our morality or immorality. And so not like you should not live like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in like manner. He said, people are taking advantage of people and defrauding people. He said, but we shouldn't be like that because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. So notice, he said, the Lord will avenge. If you if we treat each other like that, treat even people of the world like that, he said, you need to know that God will come and avenge that because God does not put up with that. He's not just nicety nice all the time. No, God will judge and take care of uh, things like this that are wicked and harming people, taking advantage of people. Verse 7, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. That one little verse right there. But for God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Every believer, you're not just called to go to heaven. You're called to walk in holiness like God. Verse 8, therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. He's saying, you try to reject this as if it's just Paul's teaching or Jerry's teaching? No. He said, you're rejecting God. This is what God is saying. He's called you to holiness. And he's also given you his spirit. Verse 9, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Increase walking in love more and more. Love is against the flesh. Our, our flesh and our natural minds tend to be selfish. But inside the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Romans, the, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so he said, you should increase more and more walking in love. Verse 11, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Notice he's talking about practical things. He's saying, aspire to lead a quiet life. Don't be one that's always got a cause and a case. You're trying to protest everything. I'm not saying there's never a place to protest. He's just saying, look, that's not the, the way of the kingdom. Just always have a complaint, always have something that you're, you know, making a stink about and such. It doesn't mean we never need to sound the alarm. Okay. So don't hear that either because there's a ditch on either side of this road. But he's saying, generally speaking, that you may lead a quiet life, mind your own business, to work with your own hands. You're not looking for handouts. See, in, in, the, in the kingdom of God, it's not that we don't believe that anybody should receive some government assistance, because I do think that that is appropriate in, in some cases. But there are far too many people 
who really don't have to have it, but they're taking advantage of it. And in the kingdom, we're not supposed to be part of the problem. We're supposed to be part of, part of the solution. We're supposed to work hard, work with our own hands, pay our taxes and such, and, uh, and which our taxes, part of it, helps other people who really do have a need. See, this is the way we're supposed to be. And so now we get down to it. Look at this. Verse 13. I was looking forward to this, this whole book. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now, what does that mean? Concerning believers who have died. And Paul calls it falling asleep. Now, why does he say falling asleep? Because uh, that uh, metaphor of, of falling asleep is saying, well, listen, dying doesn't mean cease to exist. They still are alive. They're still with the Lord now. And that's what he's going to say. They're with the Lord. So they fell asleep, but there's a resurrection coming at the end. Okay, so there, this is not a forever thing. That's the point. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Other people who lose their family members that don't have that hope that they're going to be raised up again, that this is only temporary, they sorrow without hope. He said, but we who have believing family members who fall asleep, we sh we should sorrow. Yes, there's a natural grief of missing them, certainly. But we shouldn't sorrow as others who have no hope because we know for our believing relative, this is temporary. This is just a temporary phase, and then we'll be together forever. We'll have them alive forever. So we should not sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do, because he did, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So when Jesus comes back, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. When Jesus comes back, <laughs> oh, thank God, all those who have already slept and are with the Lord, they're going to come back with Jesus. They'll be back. See, so that's why we don't sorrow as others who have no hope. Verse 13, or Verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. So here's the distinction. Some have died, believers have died, and they're with the Lord. Paul said to the Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay, so that's one category. Those who have died, they're like asleep, but their spirits are with the Lord now. But he said, but we who are alive and remain, those of us that are on the earth, and of course, Paul's not among those. Uh, he was at that point, but he's not anymore. But those of us that are still alive, when Jesus comes back, see, that's another category of believers. So for this, we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. He's saying, we're not going to precede them. What does that mean? Watch this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Oh, I love this. With a shout. He's not coming back as a weak, little, uh, crucified Lord. No, he's coming back as a victorious, glorious, powerful, seated at the right hand of God, name above every name, Lord. So he'll descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And watch this. And the dead in Christ will rise first. First. The dead in Christ. What does that mean? Those who believed in Jesus, they lived for the Lord, they were saved, they died, their bodies are in the graves, so to speak. 
But those bodies, even those, most of them have decomposed. It's just dust in those coffins or just mixed into the dirt, whatever. Uh, they will rise first. They will rise first. So uh, they died first. Their spirits are with the Lord. The first thing he said that'll happen is their bodies will be reconstituted. Now, not with the same consistency in that they will no longer, he, Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15, they'll no longer be mortal bodies subject to death. They'll be immortal bodies, not subject to death. They'll no longer be corruptible bodies, aging, decaying, and such breaking down with old age. No, they'll be incorruptible bodies. In other words, they won't they won't have any wear and tear happening to them. No aging, no decay, no wrinkles and such. So the, the dust of their bodies, or some of them who had died just recently when Jesus came back, well, they, they wouldn't be decomposed yet. Uh, could have died, you know, a second or a minute before Jesus came back. But nonetheless, regardless of what state their physical bodies are in, those bodies are going to instantly, by the power of God, be raised up and and. Uh, reconstituted and be joined back to their spirits and their souls, this time as a glorious body, the same kind of body Jesus now has. Jesus right now is the only one that has a resurrected glorious body like this. But here at this time, what Paul's saying here, when Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, any of us, I hope I'm around when this happens, okay? Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Many people refer to this as the rapture. Regardless of when you believe the rapture happens, this is it. It does happen, okay? And we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We're not going to meet him here on the earth, on the ground, up in the clouds, up in the atmosphere here. See, he's coming down, but we're down here on the ground who are alive and remain along with the bodies that have been buried. We'll be caught up to him and we'll all meet him in the air as he's descending to come down. So we'll all be, when he comes to the earth, we'll all be with him, whether we have died already or whether we're here on the earth, we'll be caught up and then we're gonna come back down with him, see? So we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and thus... We shall always be with the Lord. From then on, we won't have this separation that we have right now with us being on earth and him being in heaven. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Those who are already with him in heaven, there is no separation. But it's those who have not yet died on the earth. See, and so, thus we shall always be with the Lord. Look at this last verse. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I love to read this at funerals of believers, of course, and uh, gravesides and whatever, and say we shouldn't sorrow as others who have no hope. And it says, uh, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Remind one another, hey, this, this is not the end. This is temporary. Oh, he's in a better place. She's in a better place. This is, this is going to come around. Don't worry. It won't be long, and we'll all be back together again. And Paul said, take these words and comfort one another that this is reality. And thank God it is. It is reality. And so these are precious words, and, and no other place in the New Testament does it say it quite like this with some of these details 
of what happens first and the sequencing and such and uh, the sequencing of Jesus coming back down and us meeting him there. And it's just a precious little passage to help us to get some clarity about how this thing is going to go down at the end of the age. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.